Are you frustrated with your co-parent? Do you sometimes find yourself hoping that you and your co-parent will one day get along better than you even did in your marriage? Or more secretly, wish your co-parent would meet with an untimely or maybe painful demise? (laughs) It's okay. We understand. But I'm afraid that neither of those fantasies are helping you move on with your life. We think this podcast will help you learn how to put those fantasies in the past. In each episode, we address difficult dilemmas that many co-parents face and will help you decide should you hold on to the conflict for the sake of the kids or let it go for the same reason. These issues are often complicated, but the solutions can be easier than you think. So get ready for this unconventional ride. You might be surprised it could change your life. If you've got a dilemma to share, please call our voicemail number at 1-234-DILEMMA or email us at 1234dilemma at gmail.com. Remember, dilemma is spelled D-I-L-E-M-M-A. Welcome to Co-Parent Dilemmas, where we give you practical solutions to those impossible co-parents. I'm Diane Dirks. And I'm Rick Voiles. Hi, Rick. How are you doing? I am doing very well today. Good. Good. So what are we discussing in this episode? You know, one of the things I see a lot is the other parent is restricting access. They won't abide by the parenting time court order. Yeah. Sometimes they do that because they're just dumb. (laughs) Right. I mean, they don't think the court order matters. I think the the most difficult cases or dilemmas around that is when a parent tries to legitimize the reason why they won't let the child go. So it, we should talk about those because they're a little bit more difficult to fight against, right? Yes. So what's the first one that comes to your mind, how parents try to legitimize that? Well, the one I hear a lot is the child doesn't want to go to your house, so I'm not oh. going to make them. <laughs> yeah. What do I do? Yeah, we do hear that a lot. What do I do? When my 10-year-old says, I don't want to go, or my five-year-old is screaming and crying and holding on for dear life, or my teenager says, are you kidding me? Why would I go over there? He's got rules. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So how do you make children do something, Rick? Well, any parent often has to make a child do something like eat your broccoli or don't eat so much sugar. We have behaviors that we expect from our child for many different reasons. This one, if nothing else, is an issue of respect to authority minimally. Right, right. So I often tell parents, especially if school-age children, hey, you don't want to go to school some days, but I still require you to go because it's the law. Right. right? Yes. I am required to get you there, not just encourage you to go, to make sure that you go. And there's a court order and the court order respects both parents' right to be involved in their child's life, not only involved, but to be a parent, to parent their children. 
So you're going to go because it's ordered. It's required by you to go. And just good parenting. If you're letting your nine-year-old or 10-year-old or 11-year-old make their own decision about whether they are going to go or not, that is going to come back to bite you when they're 16. They're going to say, well, I can decide. I can see whoever I want and I'm going to stay out late. You're giving them too much power and that's going to be dangerous when they get older. Right. So this starts though when they're two and three. If If you're the kind of parent who was very lackadaisical, maybe you, know, you would say, clean up your toys, and then they wouldn't, then you'd clean them up for them. It really depends on the foundation that you've set for the child. And if that child has learned that you say that, but you don't really mean it, yes. then they're going to bug the heck out of you to lay wear you down. And then you might say, I just don't know what to do. I can't make my child go to their dad's when really it might be a problem that started way, way back. Way back. Yep. Yeah. So can't do anything about that. You can't unring that bell if it's already passed. But I think using the school analogy is very important. I don't want to go to work sometimes, but I have to because I have to put food on the table. You don't want to go to school, but the law requires you to go. So we're, we're going to go. And more importantly, talk about why. Tell me more. Get your child to talk. You remember a few episodes we talked about how you talk to your child and ask questions, you know, what concerns you about having to go to your dad's? They might just say something very simple, like it's just inconvenient. And it is. Parents don't realize, kids have told me, hands down, the number one reason they don't like divorce is having to go back and forth between two houses. Yes. Hardest thing of all, because it's inconvenient because parents don't have to do it. (laughs) (laughs) and i don't want to have to pick up on a sunday night i was having fun just playing with my legos or i was watching my favorite tv show or i was doing whatever and now i've got a oh yeah mom's picking me up and i have to go over there and start all over i wouldn't want to do that would you no no not at all especially if i'm a teenager and i have a busy social life anyways now i gotta interrupt it so again this is about looking at it from the child's point of view but too often the parent who the child is saying that to, I don't want to go to my dad's or I don't want to go to my mom's. They secretly enjoy that moment. Aha. Uh-huh. Yeah, I can. Well, you know, it, yep. Cause it means they love me more or they <laughs> like being here better. And there's a little bit of personal enjoyment about that to where if you're not careful, you'll actually sort of support that. Oh, I understand, honey. I know it's really hard at your mom's, right? right. which isn't healthy to say, even if it is hard at mom's. Life is hard. And I just want to be clear. We all have those secret feelings inside. That's normal. We just have to not let them rule us. Or rule us, exactly. So I think this is an age or child development issue too. What do you do when your three-year-old is screaming and crying, I don't want to go? Well, it's the same thing you do with your three-year-old when they're screaming and crying about not wanting to go into the grocery store or or leave the restaurant or or the daycare yeah (laughs) Yeah. and so what i tell parents if you know they're not going to want to do something before you do it you talk to them about it okay your daddy's going to be coming at five o'clock you're going to meet your mom at mcdonald's at four and this is what i expect of you and i know you're going to want to cry but 
it's going to be okay. Because remember last time we did it, it was fine because we know that once three-year-olds get to the other place and get distracted, they're perfectly fine. Yeah. That was devastating to me when I dropped my daughter at the daycare and she's hanging onto your leg and don't want to, you got to tear her apart. And then one day I peeked through the window after I'd got 30 seconds, she was fine. It was like, Oh, she doesn't love me as much as I thought she did. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I think it's important to just do what you would do any other time. But if you make a big scene at the time of the transfer, I think that makes it worse for the child. And, and like I said, for school age children, you know, using the school analogy for teenagers, it's harder, but even they don't have a choice. It's a matter of saying, I know you don't like being at mom's because it's boring or maybe dad's working and you're having to be there with stepmom. And maybe that's not why you think you should be, you know, there's all kinds of reasons teens might give or mom won't let me have sleepovers, but dad will, I'd rather stay at dad's. That's just life. And yeah. time to teach a teenager that sometimes we sacrifice our wants and needs for the sake of relationship. Sure. Because the mom and dad relationship is what we call a primary relationship. So we want to teach them if it gets boring, if you don't like it, if somebody says a crossword to you, you don't just quit a relationship. No. Because this is a primary relationship. This is different than a friendship. This is somebody who you have their DNA in you. Yes. <laughs> or if you're adopted, this is someone who has raised you and loved you from birth. This is not just somebody out in the world. This is a primary person that you will forever be looking to for advice or example or whatever, you know. Yeah. So, so back to respect, respecting exactly. uh, relationships, respecting authority. But I had one that came across where I don't want my child exposed to that child. What do you say to that? We'll be back after a quick break. The heart behind the I'm on podcast is storytelling because every mom has a story to tell. I know that when I talk to my friends who are parenting and we share stories, we all end up feeling less alone and more capable of loving our kids well. You can find information everywhere on the internet. Some is bad parenting advice and some is pretty wise. We like to think there's a lot of wisdom on imom.com. And when you combine that signature wisdom with a great story, it brings parenting to life. We want a mom who's listening to see herself and her kids in these stories and rest in the confidence that she is the perfect mom for her kids. Check out the iMom podcast with new episodes every Monday. I see this with teenagers. My 15-year-old daughter is living with the 16-year-old boy who was dropped out of high school and was allowed to do whatever he wants or Maybe they found out they were smoking marijuana or there was underage drinking going on. Or they've heard rumors. Right. Or if it's younger kids, maybe they're allowing the one child to be favored over the other. You know, my child goes over there. The child they had together becomes the favored child. And so we don't discipline her. We only discipline this half child, right? Yes. And then that child starts to feel less than around the whole sibling there that's in that house. I have one where the child's outnumbered. They're all within the same age group, but the other kids are there all the time at that house. Right. And so when she comes over, she feels like an outsider. Yeah. I had a little girl once who, when she went to mom's, it was mom and stepdad had two 
children. She was the oldest, but they had two children. Dad and stepmom had, I don't know, two or three children. She was the only one that had to go back and forth. Yeah. She hated that. Yes. And I felt so sorry for her. And she was just like, can I just stay in one house? And we had to kind of, I had to get all of four parents to rally around her and say, listen, we know this is hard and this wasn't ever the intention for you to live this way and just communicate with us when it feels like it's too much. And luckily in that situation, the parents were cooperative and they were able to be more flexible. If the daughter wanted a little extra time over here with these siblings, then the other parents had no problem and vice versa. And they really put her needs Uh, above their own, which was really nice to watch, but that's not always the case. And I can imagine with that many children in the house all the time, it's hectic. It it would be easy for a child to feel invisible and it would be easy to miss the cues if you're not paying attention and watching for it. And on the other end of the spectrum, I've had children where they go to one house and there's five kids, there's yours, mine, and ours over there. (laughs) Then they go to the other house and that parent's not married, doesn't have any extra children. It's just me and the other parent. And they've told me, I kind of like the contrast. When I go to mom's, I get this giant family and it's fun and hectic and crazy and wild and chaotic, but I like that energy. And then I go to my dad's and man, it's just me and him and I get everything I want. (laughs) I'm, I'm the special child. So there's a way to make it okay for children. It's just about understanding how they're feeling, which goes back to that WAC that we talked about. How are you doing? Does any of this concern you? What are you worried about? When they get frustrated, especially, tell me a bit more about the frustration so I can understand it. And then once we understand it, we can work around it as the adults. Yeah, the key is to talk a lot with your child. Learn how to talk to your child. And the dilemma comes in when one parent won't do that. Yeah. And the answer is always the same. Then you do it. (laughs) Yes. When the other parent doesn't want to understand, then that requires you to be the one who does, even if you can't control a lot of what's happening, understanding is huge. Yeah, we need one parent to take yeah. the route that will put the child first and right. pay attention. Right. Take them and out I, of the I always say that in my counseling practice with adults and with children, but even with adults, my role is be able to say, I've been there, I hear you, and you're not crazy. Yes. <laughs> Kids need that too. Uh, I hear you. I've been there. I know I don't talk about the other parent and you, but I've had situations that felt this way too, and maybe even tell a story or two. And this is normal. You're not abnormal. You're not crazy for having these feelings. And that's really all people need to move forward. They don't necessarily need you to fix their dilemma or fix their situation more. How can I understand it and connect with it and let you feel normal around it? So when they're coming to you as parent, I don't want to go, then as you said, this is a perfect opportunity to have a conversation with the child. Tell tell me what's frustrating about it. Tell me what you're concerned about. What are you worried about? Well, they could say any number of things. And of course, if you hear something dangerous, you want to be careful about how you react to that, but listen, hear it, and then talk with your attorney what the possibilities are if you need to address a danger. But I would say 99% of the time, it's not a dangerous situation. It's just a frustrating one for them. So here's one that's come up very recently for our time when you talk about safety. 
yes. when one parent won't let the child go to the other parents and COVID is the oh, excuse. Oh, yes, yes. The what do you do there? The COVID monster, the weapon of COVID. <laughs> boy, oh boy. Um, let's take it away from the COVID for a minute and let's just talk about other sicknesses because okay. I've had parents say, well, my child has a bad cold, so she can't come over. And that's really insulting yeah. to the parent who's supposed to have the child that weekend. Well, what, you don't think I can take care of my child when she's sick. And so that becomes an issue, but then you also have to understand it from the child's point of view. I had one case where the dad was supposed to pick up the child or mom. I can't remember which one it was at six o'clock on a Sunday and mom or dad texted the other parent and said, um, he's throwing up. <laughs> he has a stomach bug or something. And the, and the parent was like, I'm coming anyway, put him in the car. And I'm thinking, oh, my my. poor child. I can't imagine the last place I want to be when I'm throwing up is in a parent's car on the way to another house. I just want to go to bed. So again, it comes to common sense. Who's that for? That might be your legal right to get your child at six o'clock. A lot of it is the lack of trust. I don't really believe that my child is sick. I have to see it right. for myself. You made it up. And then there's those issues of, do you really want that contagion at your house when they're throwing up and they're very contagious? So yeah, again, use your, your brain. But so if we take those instances, I think COVID is similar. Do you require your child to wear a mask at your house because you don't trust the other parent is taking precautions? Yeah. Well, I've had kids, at least two, tell me they are not allowed to walk in their own parent's house without a mask on because that parent doesn't trust their other parent. Yes. But none of the other children in the house have to wear a mask. So talk about being treated like a leper. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think in the beginning, this was a really hard hard issue to deal with. And everybody you know, was afraid. I was yes. in communication with some of our judges. We were talking about what's the best thing to do. And it was basically follow the parenting plan. You're going to have to trust that the other parent is going to take precautions just like you would under any other circumstances. Now that we know a little bit more about COVID and a lot of people have been vaccinated. I think if you're that worried about the other parent not taking precautions, then you need to buy a bunch of those home tests. And when your child comes over, just test them every time if that's what you're worried about. So that's better than making them feel like they've got the plague at your yeah. home. So I don't know. What are your thoughts, Rick, about the COVID issue? There's going to be risk. You can't just keep the child from the other parent because you're afraid. But yet I've seen a lot of parents do that and the courts were backed up and they got away with it, but we're, we're not clear what kind of damage it caused to the parent-child relationship exactly. on both sides. I mean, my understanding is that most courts, most judges did not punish people for anything that had to do with COVID because there was just so much mixed messaging going on about what was the appropriate protocols. The so only thing I could tell the parent, with the one who was feeling bad because they didn't have access, mm -hmm. was the thing we keep saying, you know, change your thinking about it. If you're yes. going to make a big deal about this, the child's going to be in the middle. Right. But if you can find a way to make it okay for your child, then your child will be okay. But you've got to yeah. let them know that you're okay. It's not that I don't want to be with you. 
Yes. And I understand the difficult. It's like having another parent on the other side who is making things difficult for that child. Yes. We encourage the parents to say, I understand what you're going through over there. I get it. And I'm going to back off just so you don't have to worry about yeah. it. So I think it comes down to what we've talked about before, do the right thing and worry about your legal rights later. It doesn't mean we don't honor legal rights. Of course you should, but those a lot of times can wait till after you've taken care of your child, <laughs> then worry about what is fair or worry about what your legal rights are. And in this case, like I said, in the beginning, it was a matter of life and death, right? And everybody yes. was scared. So people got a lot of grace around that. But I know a lot of parents who used COVID, aha, it's like it's spring break. I'm not bringing them back. Yes. <laughs> right? We saw a lot of that around spring a break lot of last that. year. Right. You happen to have them now, now and keep them for the next three months because of COVID. <laughs> and that probably didn't sit well with some judges that people did that. But on the minor things, Think about your child and what they might be feeling and thinking and go there first and then document for your attorney, not the other parent, how you feel about how things were handled in case it becomes a problem or a pattern that you want to talk about in court. I had one, we talked about sickness, where the child was sick and one parent felt like the other parent doesn't know what they're doing. They were never <laughs> around. They don't know how to do this. Yeah. I'm much better at it. They need me. And the point I made was they're never going to learn how to do it. They're never going to be able yeah. to be a parent with this child if you keep withholding when mm -hmm. things are tough or difficult. Mm -hmm. So we have to let the other parent make some mistakes in order for them to learn how to be yeah. a good parent. Yeah. And that was frustrating, but the parent saw the point. Yeah. All right, if I ever want my children to have a good relationship with that other parent, then I've got to let go a little bit. I think the bottom line is if you hold on, what you're saying is you don't believe the other parent loves your child enough to keep them healthy. Yeah. If you let go, it's because you do believe that. And I can tell you that's the rare parent that is not capable of taking care of the child's health, or it's the rare parent who wouldn't go into a burning building to save a child. They might do other knucklehead things as parents, <laughs> right? Yes. They, they were all shaking our head going, who, what, you know, yeah. where did that come from? But I can guarantee you when it comes to their health and safety, most parents, the vast majority are going to do the right thing. And I know you don't trust your parent in many, many, many other ways, but you have to trust them that they would keep them safe. And if you have evidence that they're not safe, that's for another day for a conversation with your attorney. You don't need to yell and scream at them. We've already talked about how that does not work. Yep. And I think one of the things we are learning that there's more than one way to do the right thing. Yes. That parent may not do it the way I would do it. But it doesn't mean that what they're doing is wrong. Right. Right. Wrong. Right. 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 Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Who's on so, first? <laughs> yeah. So I um, posted a saying that I found on social media this week, and it said, do the right thing, not what's easy. So in yeah. other words, do what's right, not what's easy. And for too many people, easy is reactive. Oh, right. It's easy to react. It's hard to pull back and say, let me think about this a minute. What must my child feel about this? How 
really keep them out of the middle. That's the hard thing is to regulate and manage your own emotions so that you don't just react. You'll feel better. You'll have more self-respect. And I come back to the point back and I come back to the point that your child's watching. You are teaching your child something with your responses. It's either something good or you're teaching them something that's not going to benefit them in the future. Okay. Very good. Well, listen, all listeners, we want you to call in again with your questions or email us with your dilemmas. We would love to look at them and pick one and talk about it on our show. Yep. Try to help you. Check out our Facebook page at www.facebook.com slash CP Dilemmas. C is in cat, P is in Paul, Dilemma, (laughs) D-I-L-E-M-M-A. And if you click on groups, you can go to our non-impossible group. And if you have any concerns, questions, comments, you want to take issue with something we said, we would love to chat with you. That's a place that you can start chatting with us. So check us out. All right, Rick, talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye. We hope this episode was helpful to you. If you'd like to share your dilemma or tell us how something we said has benefited your situation, please call 1-234-DILEMMA. That's 234-362-3445. Or email 1234-DILEMMA at gmail.com. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Co-Parent Dilemmas wherever you get your podcasts and give us a favorable rating. That will make us more accessible to co-parents who are searching for help. Thank you for being part of our non-impossible family.